We're going through the book of Ephesians, and I'm having a good time. I'm enjoying it. Ephesians chapter 1. You know, uh, when I was 12 years old, when I was 12 years old, my friend showed me the coolest card trick. And uh, I, for a 12-year-old, it was the coolest trick I'd ever seen. Every single time, he could tell me which card was mine. And I was going to do it for you this morning, but I got afraid that I was going to mess it up. And so I didn't want to like put all, you know, the eggs in that basket. But I remember asking him, he would do this trick and I'd say, how did you do that? Tell me your secret. And you know what he told me? A magician never, a, a magician never reveals his secret, right? So I went to the one place that reveals all secrets, YouTube. And as a 12-year-old kid, I typed in how to do this magic trick. And I got, onto the, I got onto YouTube, and they taught me how to do this card trick. And I learned about five or six other card tricks as well. And I went back to my friend and said, here, I'll do it to you. And I did it to him, and I showed him a bunch of other tricks. And I went, I showed all my friends all my card tricks. And suddenly, I became the kid who knew card tricks. And everybody was like, Blake, you're so good at this. You're amazing. Tell us, how did you do that? And I would say... A magician never reveals his secrets. Today, we're going to be talking about how the Spirit's role is to reveal to us the mysteries and the greatness of God. And aren't you thankful that God is not a magician and he doesn't keep his mysteries from us? He doesn't keep his, 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 his secrets from us, but he has sent the Holy Spirit to reveal the mysteries of God to us so that we can see God's will, we can see his purpose, what his plans are in our life. We can't see it fully, right? We don't see everything, but God has sent his spirit to us so that we can get insight into who he is and what he's doing. We have to remember as we read Ephesians that this letter was meant to be read all at once. So we're building up the words, we're building upon the words of Paul, right? Last week, we talked about spiritual blessings that we share because we are in Christ. We talked about five of them. And I want us to keep those spiritual blessings in mind as we continue reading in Ephesians. The, some of the blessings that we mentioned last week is that we are chosen. God has chosen us. He's predestined us for adoption as sons in Christ. We've been redeemed. We've been given wisdom and insight. Uh, we've received an inheritance. And the last one was we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Paul mentions all of those in verses 3 through 14. And he builds upon that into what we're going to read today. So we're going to start at verse 15. We're going to read down to the first part of verse 18 and stop for a moment. It says this. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. There's something to note, that Paul never ceases to give thanks and, and pray for the church. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your heart enlightened, 
Eyes of the heart. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Now, if you were in church in the 2000s and you're probably singing Paul Belosi's song in your head right now. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Come on. Open the eyes. Let's go back to the 2000s and sing those songs. That was one of the first songs I learned on guitar. And believe me, I wore that song to the ground. It was that one. Blessed be your name in the secret. Those songs are dead to me. I can't sing them anymore. I'm sorry, but in my opinion, a worship song has an expiration date, okay? And I hit that expiration date a while back. I'm sorry if that offended some of you. I'm not really sorry. Okay, here we go. (laughs) But the ancient understanding of the heart was that your heart was the seat of your thoughts, your will, and your emotions. The Greek word translated enlightened, it means to illuminate. Or to give light to something. And Paul is essentially saying, I pray that the Spirit would bring light to your thoughts about the Father. He's saying, I pray that he would bring clarity so that your will and your emotions react in alignment with who the Father is. That the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. The seat of your thoughts and your will and your emotions would all be given. That the truth of God would be shed over those things. That he would have full control over your thoughts and your will and your emotions. You know, I once uh, knew a young woman who was extremely loud and disruptive at church. This is years ago. I'm not talking to anybody in this room, okay? (laughs) But years ago, I once knew a young woman who was very loud and disruptive at church, and she always wanted to talk after church, and she'd act like we were best friends. She would just jump into a conversation like we were best friends, and my patience was often tested with this person. Uh, But then I discovered that she was adopted as a little girl, and her parents abandoned her because they were addicted to drugs. And she had nobody to teach her any social skills. She was starving for love and attention. And after hearing her story, it was like the eyes of my heart were opened to see who she really was. And I discovered a newfound appreciation for her. Has anybody ever experienced a moment where you feel like the eyes of your heart were open. Some of you experienced that when you first heard about Jesus or when you read the word of God for the first time. It felt like truth, like the scales were falling off and the eyes of your heart were open to see the truth for the very first time. The Holy Spirit wants to do that once again. He wants the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. He wants to show us what God loves and what God hates. He wants to give us insight into the reality of God. He wants to show us what defines God's nature and what God's desire for our lives is. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal those things, the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. And then Paul says, he he describes the Spirit of God as the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, Paul is not referring to your spirit. He's referring to capital S, the Holy Spirit. And he prays that the church would have a personal encounter with God through the Spirit. It's one thing to know about God and another thing to know God personally. You can read the Bible and learn about God, but never have an encounter with his presence. You can never hear his voice speaking to your heart. You, you, can, you can know about God, but never feel his power and his anointing on your life. They are two very different things to know about God and to know God personally. 
You know, I knew about God growing up in high school until the summer of 2009 when I came home from college. I've told this story at church, but I'm going to tell it again. Came home from college, and I cried out to the Lord. I said, God, if this is all there is to Christianity, then I'm done. I don't want anything to do with it. It's just going to church. It's a list of rules. It's what not to do. And I don't want this faith because all my friends are having a blast. They're living their life. They're doing what they want to do. Their life looks fun, and I want that. But God, if you have, if you have more, if there's more to knowing you than you need to show me, And so I went into my bedroom in 2009. I locked the door to my room. It was separate from the house. I lived in a little one-car garage that was carpeted. It was nice. It had a little loft in it. And I locked myself away in there, and I started playing the song, How He Loves. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And for the first time, I had a revelation. The eyes of my heart were opened to see how much God really loved me. And as I closed my eyes, I could see Jesus walking into the room and and cradling me, holding me, just rocking back and forth as I'm sobbing. The carpet is soaked with my tears. And I stopped myself in the middle of this emotional experience. And those who have uh, maybe are new to the Pentecostal movement, this is probably one of the ticks you hold against Pentecostals, is that we're emotional. We're about our feelings. I got something to say about that. I don't think God separates himself from our emotions. But here's what happened is I, in the middle of this encounter, I thought, hold on a sec. I've been to summer camp. I've been to conference. I've had these inspiring moments. And three weeks later, I just go back to the same old, same old. God, if this is really you, if I'm really experiencing your presence, then somebody else should be able to feel this too, right? Like it can't just be me. So I got up off the ground and I unlocked the door to my room, hoping that somebody might walk into my room to prove to me that it wasn't just me. Now, I had the Xbox in my room back in OG Xbox Halo days. Come on, anybody, any Halo fans in here? Okay. I'm speaking to some of my generation. And I had the Xbox in my room. My brother was, uh, I heard the sliding glass door to the house open because him and uh, who is now my brother-in-law, his friend, uh, my sister's husband, before they were married, the two of them were coming into my bedroom to play the Xbox, and they had no idea what I was doing. They had no idea that I was worshiping me, but I turned around just in time to witness my little brother open the door to my bedroom, and as he stepped through the threshold, he started sobbing, just <laughs> is sobbing as he steps through the threshold into my room. And I am wide-eyed and a little terrified. And I say, Brian, do you, I said, do you, are you feeling something? And he goes, what is happening in here? What's going on? I said, it's the, Brian, this is the presence of God. Come in here and worship with me. And him and my future brother-in-law came and knelt beside me and we worship God for the next 10 minutes on our knees in my bedroom. And that was the moment that I went from knowing about God to knowing him personally. And it was like God was saying to me in that moment, you have access to this anytime you want. That you have the key to this room. I invite you to come and spend time in my presence all the time. I I envy this time. I covet this time. I'm jealous over this time. I want this time with you. 
and you can come back whenever you want. Now, that experience has multiplied over the years. It's, it's happened to me many times since then, but it doesn't always look the same. It's not always so emotional. Sometimes it's just a sweet presence, a sweet sense of God's presence in my life. But that was the moment I went from knowing about God to knowing God personally. How many of you know God personally in this room? Come on, some of you might be in this place thinking, do I know God personally? Do I really know who he is? I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants to know you personally, and he wants you to know him personally, that he's not a distant God, that he doesn't hide himself away, but he has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus, and he's given access, he's given us access to the Holy Spirit so that we can know him personally. The Greek word revelation it's the word apocalypsis. Somebody say apocalypsis. It means to disclose the truth. It's where we get the word apocalypse. So when you hear the word apocalypse, usually people think of uh, the end of days. It's the end of time. But the word apocalypse means to reveal something, to disclose the truth. The image is of someone pulling back the curtain to reveal what's hidden behind. And we can read the Bible on our own but we'll only receive a limited understanding. But when we invite the Holy Spirit into our daily lives and our personal devotions, we begin to see all the spiritual blessings that God has reserved to us, those spiritual blessings that we talked about last week. But the Holy Spirit pulls back the curtains, and he opens the eyes of our heart. He is the spirit of revelation, the spirit of wisdom that shows us who God really is. And so as we continue to see uh, as we continue, we see that Paul prays that the church would be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can fully understand three things. He talks about three things in the coming verses. One thing has to do about our past. The next thing has to do about our future. And the last thing has to do about our present. The title of my message today is Past, Present, and Future Revealed. That the Holy Spirit wants to reveal, reveal God in your past, wants to reveal God in your future, and wants to reveal God, the knowledge of him in your presence, in, in your present. So let's talk about the first one. Ephesians 1, 18, let's continue. He says, uh, let's back up a little bit. He says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know, number one, what is the hope to which he has called you. The first thing is the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. And it has to do with our past. The first thing Paul prays the Holy Spirit would reveal is the hope of God's call upon our lives. Now, the Greeks understood hope as a consoling dream of the imagination designed to forget the present troubles and yet creating a future with many uncertainties. So hope in the Greeks' understanding was this thing that is very intangible, it's uncertain, and it helps you forget the troubles of your present. I'm just hoping that tomorrow will be better than today. Come on, is evident? Uh, we, we live like the grass is greener on the other side, right? It's going to be better tomorrow. Uh, if I get this job, if I, if I make more money, it'll be better then. Someone who's in debt might say, if only I could get into real estate or go back to school, then I could have the perfect job that pays more and my problems will be solved, right? It's this hope of something that's very uncertain. And we hope in things that can easily fall apart. And then our future is dashed when our dreams, our hopes don't come true, right? 
But we hope in things that have no firm foundation. But here, Paul is pointing back to verses 3 through 14, the spiritual blessings that we have received. We have been chosen. We have been redeemed. We have been given wisdom. Uh, we have an inheritance. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Those are past verbs. We have those. God has, if you are in Christ, you have those. Those have happened to you. And Paul is referring back to verses 3 and 14. God has already written the story of your life and has included you into his plan on the earth. Here's the, here's the reality. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Our hope doesn't come from something in our future. Our hope is grounded in our past. Our hope doesn't come from something that is, about, that is going to happen. Now, there are things that we can place our hope in, right? We are going to spend eternity with Jesus. He's coming again. But the, the, the fact that we are going to experience those things is because of what Jesus did in our past, right? Our hope is grounded in what Jesus has already accomplished for us. It is done. God has chosen you. He's predestined you for adoption. You belong to him. You were redeemed. He gave you an inheritance. You're sealed with his spirit. Now we live with a constant hope for the future because of what he did in our past. Notice that this verse, it doesn't say the hope of your calling. The hope of your calling. No, it says uh, because what we plan and prepare on our own always inevitably fails, doesn't it? But the word for calling refers to a summons or an invitation. It is God's calling. It is his calling. He has summoned you. He has invited you. Now, have you ever been invited to something that was either canceled or maybe you didn't end up going? Maybe it was a wedding. A wedding was canceled. Bummer. Funeral, a birthday party, graduation party. You were invited but the party was canceled or you ended up not coming. Here's the reality of God's invitation, his summons to you. He doesn't cancel his invitation. He doesn't cancel his calling. This is what Romans 11.29 says. It says God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. When God calls you, he doesn't take it back. But how do we live our lives? God calls us and we, for maybe for a season, we step into this like feeling like God is using us, like God is proud of us, but then we do something and suddenly shame creeps in and we feel like God has, he's not calling me anymore. He stopped using me. He doesn't want to use me anymore. His invitation has not been extended to me any longer. His gifts, God has taken his gifts away from me because I've been disobedient. I've walked away. But let's take hope in what Romans eleven twenty nine says, that his gifts and his call are irrevocable. When he calls you, he doesn't take it back. It's a sure thing that we can place our hope upon. We look at our past and we say, Jesus loved me so much and thought I was so valuable that he emptied heaven. He died in my place and because of that, I can look forward to the future. I have hope because of what Jesus did for me. Our hope is in the past, what Jesus done, what Jesus did. Number two, Paul says this. He says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And then he says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? The second thing is the wealth of his glorious inheritance. And this has to do with your future. Let me explain. 
I didn't catch this in my first reading of this verse because I assumed that Paul was once again talking about our inheritance as sons and daughters to God. But after reading this a few times, after consulting some commentaries, I realized that Paul said his glorious inheritance, God's glorious inheritance. What is God's glorious inheritance? It is us. We are his inheritance that he purchased with Jesus. Jesus bought us so that he could inherit us. He purchased us so that God can receive his full inheritance. The word riches can also be translated as wealth, meaning that Paul wants the Spirit to show us how valuable we are to God. You are valuable to God. We are his prized possession. God purchased us in order to inherit us, and God will receive his inheritance when Jesus returns to collect his bride and take us to meet the Father face to face. Some of you, you put money into a retirement account, don't you? At least I do. And what you're actually doing, what I'm actually doing, is I'm giving my money to someone who purchases investments for me so that my money grows, and when I turn 65... Hopefully, I receive back more than what I invested into, right? But we give somebody our money, we purchase, we, we give our, our money to someone that, so that they can purchase uh, things that uh, grows our inheritance. Now, we're much more valuable to God than a retirement account, but God is so in love with you. Jesus stepped off of his throne. He purchased your life with his blood so that God could receive, so that the Father could receive his full inheritance, the inheritance of the saints. You are valuable to God. And he wants the Holy Spirit. Paul's praying that the Holy Spirit would show you that God waits eagerly to be united with his church in heaven, that he looks forward to seeing you face to face. He looks forward to being with you in paradise. Our future is secure. Our past has been taken care of. It's been cleansed. We don't have to worry about the mistakes of our past. Jesus has spilled his blood and taken care of our past. And our future is secure. God is the God of our past and our future. And he is the God of our present as well. And this is the third thing that Paul talks about. He talks about the greatness of of his power. Now for the rest of our time verses 19 all the way to the end to verse 23 is uh, uh, by the way everything that we've been reading this morning in the original Greek is one long sentence. Just like it was last week, once again this is another really long sentence in the Greek. This is all a continuous train of thought in Paul's writings. But from verses 19 to 23 for the rest of this time Paul talks about God's power both about the magnitude of God's power and the manifestation of God's power. So let's read this. Verse 19 says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? He describes the magnitude of God's power. There's nine Greek words for power. We have one word for power. Power. The Greeks have nine different words for power, and Paul uses seven of them 
Seven of the nine words for power in verses 19 through 23. <clears throat> we see four. We just read four of them. In fact, I, under, I underline them. The greatness of his power, dynamis towards us who believe according to the working. That's another word for power. Energia of his great might, kratos. Those are four words for power. Dynamis, uh, it refers to strength or efficiency or ability. It's where we get the word dynamite. It comes from this Greek word. Kratos means vigor, talking about the vigor, the working of power. Uh, I'm going to butcher this word. There's another one. Kurotates refers to rulership or dominion. Iskus refers to force. Energia, it's where we get the word energy and it's active power. Uh, There's potential power. Right, Power that's untapped and unused, but there's a potential to use it. And then there's active working power. And God in this, in this, in this verse is seen as an active working God. Excusia is the word for authority. Arche is magistrate or human rulership, human power. So Paul is really showcasing the magnitude of God's power. God's power is unstoppable. It's efficient. It's active. It's working in your life. Nothing can stand against the power of God. And all that power, we're getting to this in a moment, all that power is available to the church. Let me use an illustration. There's a difference between describing what a bulldozer can do and seeing with your eyes what it can actually do. You may know that a bulldozer has the ability, capacity, and potential to route out a tree. And by looking at it, you sense its inherent strength. You come up to a bulldozer, you can a bulldozer, you sense it has the strength to do something like that. But when it's when its engine turns on and when it roars and you see the bulldozer begin to move, its power of mastery becomes obvious to us. However, it's not until you see this bulldozer come to a tree and knock it over that you understand the activity of its power. When you see what it can actually do, you go, wow, that's impressive. That's a, that is a powerful machine. See, in verse 19, Paul is describing the engine revving. He shows us how the bulldozer moves about by using all these different words for power. He's describing the magnitude of God's power. But in verses 20 through 23, he knocks over some trees. And he displays the activity of God's power. This is God working. What we're about to read. Are you ready? This is God displaying his power. Verses 20 through 23. That he worked. Let me back up. We're going to read this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked. There's another word for power. In Christ. When he raised him from the dead. And seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule, another word for power, and authority, power, and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. God displayed the greatness of his power when he obliterated sin and death by raising Jesus from the dead and seated him in heaven. There is no army. There is no ruler or nation or plague or pandemic or natural disaster 
or demon or devil, nothing can stand against the greatness of God's power. It was fully displayed by raising Jesus from the dead and seating him in heavenly places. And here's the kicker. This is where it gets really exciting. Verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Do I need to read that again? And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. The church is the fullness of Christ's body. God made Jesus head over all things. He gave him to the church, which is the fullness of Jesus. Meaning this, through the work of Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that the church is meant to have. We are the fullness of Christ's body. When the world looks at the church of Jesus, they see the body of Christ. They see the fullness of him. Now, obviously, we are not complete unless we are attached to the head, right? Jesus is the head, but we are, the, we are his body that moves in power. Do you see why Paul prayed that the Spirit would reveal this to us? We need the Spirit to help us understand what kind of power we have in Jesus. The church has been playing defense for far too long. We brace ourselves for the next attack of the enemy. The devil's really after me. My, my electricity went out. The devil's coming after me. I got, a, I got a cold. The devil's coming after me. We give too much credit to the devil, church. And we brace ourselves for the next attack from the enemy. Oh, I'm just going to stand strong because the devil's been attacking me. But God has given the ball to the church. He wants us to play offense. He says, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that I've given to you. Church, you don't have junior varsity Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't play varsity and we just get to play junior varsity. We're JV Holy Spirit. No, the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that you and I have access to today. That we are on the offense. We have the power of God because we belong to Jesus. There's nothing that can stop the church of Jesus. I'm going to invite Mary to come up. We're going to, I'm going to do a few things as we close. We're going to take communion in a moment. And if you need a communion element, would you just raise your hand? And we'll have somebody pass them around. We've got a hand in the back over there. Just keep your hands up. We'll have our ushers bring you communion elements. We're going to take communion together. But first, I want to talk about this. The spirit of wisdom and revelation, the Holy Spirit, has been given us so that we can know we can know God more. Paul prayed that we would understand the knowledge, we've come to the knowledge of him. God wants you to walk in power. He wants you to know how much you're loved and valued by him. He wants you to be confident in your hope. He wants your past, your present, and your future secured. He wants you to know that your past has been taken care of. He wants you to know that your future is secured. He wants you to know that there is nothing in your present that can stand against God's power. And Paul's prayer to the church was that the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the Holy Spirit, would show us 
how secure our past, present, and future really is. And all of these things are unlocked when you invite the Holy Spirit into your life and you spend your life not just learning about God, but getting to know Him personally. It's an all-or-nothing mindset. It's not Jesus plus blank. And some of us think that we can get away with that. I can have Jesus, but I can keep this unhealthy relationship that I know God doesn't want me to have. I can have Jesus and this, and God's okay with that. God's grace is there as we are learning and as we are growing. But when we come to rely on Jesus and this, that's when things get dicey. Because Jesus wants to be everything. He wants to be everything you need. Nothing else but Jesus. Nothing else but Him. It's only Him. I want us to pray for three things today as we take communion. I want to pray for some of, some of you here. You need prayer for your past. And I want to pray that the Spirit would help you to overcome the mistakes of your past and to truly trust in His calling for our lives. That He has called you. He's taken care of your sin. You don't have to live in shame. You can give it all to Him. You don't have to continue hiding. You don't have to cower in your devotions and your in your prayer time. You don't have to think, oh, I can't pray right now because God's just angry at me. He doesn't want to hear my voice. He doesn't want to hear my prayers. He's holding a grudge against me. I think the Spirit wants to take care of that in some of your lives today. He wants to take care of your past. Some of you need prayer for your future. That the Spirit would show you how loved you are how you can contribute to sharing the gospel so that Jesus receives his full inheritance. Some of your futures are not secure. Maybe you have anxiety about your future, what's coming up. You don't, you don't know what's happening. But God wants to give you peace about your future. Can you give me a communion thing? I need one of these. Thanks. <laughs> I should have raised my hand. And lastly, I think this, I want to pray for some of your presence, what's happening right now, that the spirit would help you walk in the power that is available to you and that we as a church would walk in that power together. Remember that this book is not about you. Ephesians is not about you. Paul's not writing directly to you. He's writing to the church. He's writing to us. This is a corporate letter, a corporate thing. And, and the, I believe that God wants to show some of you how powerful he is in your life right now. Some of you might be experiencing something right now that you feel like, I don't know how I'm going to make it out of this. I don't know how I'm going to overcome this debt or this relationship or this sickness or you name it. I don't know what I'm going to do right now. And God wants to show you his working, active, all-encompassing power that he displayed when he raised Christ from the dead. That same power is available to you this morning. Open up your, your communion element. We're going to take the bread in our hands. Those three things that I mentioned, past, present, and future, ask yourself, are you one of those people? What do you need prayer for? 
past, your future, your present. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit. So close your eyes right now. And let's quiet our hearts as we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. representation of Christ's body. And the night before, the night that he was betrayed, the night before he went to the cross, he shared a meal with his disciples and he broke bread with them. And he said, this is my body. Isaiah 53 says that his body was crushed, that he was bruised, that it was he was beaten so that we could have healing and wholeness in our lives. And I want to speak to those who are dealing with something right now in the present. His sacrifice was enough. His body that was broken was enough to bring your life wholeness and healing. Does it mean that it will be free of trial, free of pain, that it will be an easy life? No, but it means that you have access to the Spirit as He walks you through the trials. That He will give you strength and endurance and faith to overcome whatever obstacle that is facing you right now. So, Father, we take your body and we thank you that it was broken for us we thank you that as we eat this father that we not only are we doing this in remembrance of you and remembering your sacrifice it's not just about remembering but it's also about uh, it's also about ingesting your body in a way that says i i i am i want to be crucified with you jesus I want to die. I want my old self to die with you. I'm identifying with your death. I share in your death so that I can share in your resurrection. So right now, Jesus, we put to death whatever it is that needs to be put to death, whether it's shame or doubt, God, anxiety, fear. We put it all to death. And we thank you, Jesus, that you you did not stay in the grave. We share that with you in Jesus' name. Let's take this together. Take the cup. I want to pray for those who are struggling with your past and with your future. Because what Jesus did on the cross, that was it. That was everything. It's not Jesus plus go to church, read my Bible, do this, do that, so that God will be proud of me, that he'd be pleased with me. No, it's just Jesus. Jesus died for you because he is so rich in love, so rich in grace. He gave us everything. And that's the end of the story. And he calls you. And he says, if you trust in my sacrifice, if you trust in that, then I give you my Holy Spirit as a seal, as a sign that you are mine and I'm coming again for you. Jesus, I pray for those who are struggling with shame in this room. Spirit, would you overcome that shame with your love, with your grace, and help us to walk in the ways that you want us to walk, free from shame. 
Father, I pray for those in this room who are struggling with their futures, not knowing what's next, and maybe have anxiety about the future. God, I I thank you that our futures are secure, and we have nothing to fear. So, Father, we take this, we drink this cup, not only in remembrance, but also re-identifying with your death so we can identify with your resurrection as well. And Jesus, we say thank you, thank you, thank you for what you did for us. Let's take this together. Would you stand with me? If, If God did something in your heart this morning, if he spoke something to you, or he changed you in some way, please find somebody to share that with. Give testimony about it. Tell people, tell somebody you know about what God did in your life so we could celebrate with you. Father, we we pray right now that you would seal this time together, that you would help us to carry these truths with us. God, that you are the God of our past, present, and future, that you have the spirit of wisdom and revelation that wants to reveal these things to us. And God, we pray for a blessing on the rest of this day, that we would go out encouraged, we'd go out strengthened and full of your joy in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen, amen.